Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Ron. And this is our review of Stephen King's Thinner, starring Robert John Burke, Joe Montaigne, Lucinda Jenny, Michael Constantine, Kari Wurr, and Bethany Joey Lentz. Directed by Tom Holland, released in 1996 on a budget of $14 million, grossed $15.3 million at the box office. Now, first things up here... I, I want to say, you know, we've done a selected works of Stephen King retrospective. Nick and I did 10 of those back a few years ago. And this doesn't really fit in that category because the the odd part of this film for me, among other things, is that it's billed as Stephen King's thinner, but the book is a Richard Bachman book, <laughs> uh, which, if you don't know, is was Stephen King's pseudonym or or whatever so i always found that amusing and i I wanted to start there with you on that had you ever read the book or had any connection to it before this film yes actually i've read all the richard or i have read all the richard bachman books uh before he resumed using the pen name for other things um so i and and they all came in like a four for one big hardback that I must have picked up from my local library. Uh, so I was familiar with the book and um, was well prepared for the ridiculousness of the movie. <laughs> See, that's good for you. I have only read one Bachman book uh, ever, and that was The Running Man. And I had read it years after I'd seen you know, the Schwarzenegger film. And I would contend that if you can look at both in as different pieces of work, you can enjoy both. But I've always wanted to know if they could ever make the running man, the way it was written in that book, because if you haven't read it, folks, it's much darker and nihilistic and it's, kind of cool actually um and oddly prophetic um for today's entertainment culture but uh you know arnold schwarzenegger was a a very different uh, cat back then but no i didn't know anything about this one so when it it came out i i didn't see it in theaters i do remember renting it on i think vhs or this yeah this was way before my dvd days so i remember renting this when i was in college and watching it and just I've only seen it once uh, other than the viewing for this time and it's streaming on Netflix. I think it's been out there for a while. So I knew I had seen it, but moreover, I was attracted to it because I found out who the director was. Tom Holland, Child's Play, Fright Night, sign me up, baby. I I love those and and love those series, even the really weird off-putting sequels that both have. um, I I like those um, tremendously. So I was interested in seeing it, if nothing more than just for him. I actually own this on DVD somewhere. Uh, <laughs> it was in a, a box set of uh, junk I bought at Walmart because it had like five Stephen King stories in it. And the, the reason I bought it was because it cost like $2 more than just buying a standalone uh, DVD copy of The Stand. But The Stand was one of the things that was in this box set. It was like The Stand and Golden Years and this and some... Um, other I, lesser lights. I think I have one of those that like includes Storm of the Century, which is like forty hours long, and then like ten other movies too that I bought for three dollars once or something. Yeah. Oh, the other one was the Langoliers, which is the other reason I bought it. Oh, is that the Jimmy Smith's uh, thing? Uh, is 
I don't I don't think Jimmy Smith was in it, but like Bronson Pinchot is yeah, playing like there we a, go. Yeah. Yes. A violently coked up yuppie. Or Stephen King in the eighties. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm a big fan of Tom Holland. I actually rewatched uh, Child's Play not too long ago, and it still holds up pretty well. Uh so I don't know if this feels like uh, a straight like feels as much like a Tom Holland joint as I, I would like it to. But I, I really uh, was excited when I realized, hey, he's that guy, and he was the actual director of this th- thing. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, you can't find much about what Stephen King thinks about this on the internet. I've never seen, you know, his take on most of this. He, you know, he tends to trash a lot of the films, or at least, you know, talk about what he thinks doesn't work in them. And there's a set of Stephen King adaptations that I put in like the B and C class, like Graveyard Shift and this, and you know, some of the other ones that eh, work and then really don't work and and stuff like that. And you know, Nick and I covered some of those back in the day too. And, and I've always felt like this one was definitely in there, but Tom Holland hates this, and he will tell you he hates it and talks about the studio's interference in it and all this. But And that's funny to me because he's someone who rarely works without having a ton of say in what he does, and I feel like he's all over this film, and just at the end of it, he realized, no, this is just a piece of crap, and then he hated it. Um, I, don't, I don't know. It's... Um, well, we can get into it when we get into it. I mean, it's it's a set of very oddly strung together scenes and characters that... I don't even know who you're supposed to like in this. There's no one to root for at all. It's very I, I, I mean think the film. Only, I think the only person you could root for is Joe Mantegna. I, you know, honestly, that may be correct because uh, he is one of my favorite character actors. But uh, we'll we'll get into him. Why don't you kick it off with a plot summary, though, man? For those who, who don't know, give us a swing at what Thinner is all about. Oh, if you don't know, you're missing out. Uh, Billy Halleck is an overweight lawyer who hits a gypsy with his car after his wife distracts him with oral sex, which is a good reason to run over a gypsy. Uh, given Halleck's influence in town and a general prejudice against gypsies, he manages to brush the incident under the rug with some unethical legal help from his associates, the police chief and the local judge. However, the victim's father, Tadzu Lemke, places a curse on Billy and his associates. And invites him to a very large Greek wedding later. Yeah. <laughs> Billy starts Billy starts to lose weight at an alarming rate. The judge's skin turns lizard-like, and the police chief develops leprosy. As his two associates are driven mad by their conditions, dying in violent ways, and Billy's wife starts to cheat on him with the local doctor, he flees and enlists the help of a mob enforcer he once defended, the aforementioned Joe Mantegna. The mob man and Billy attack the gypsy camp, kill one of the brood, and eventually threaten the granddaughter of the old man, drawing him out to meet with Billy. He cuts Billy's hand and places his blood and the curse in a delicious strawberry pie and tells Billy to either eat it himself and die quicker or pass it on to someone else. Billy decides to set a trap and feed it to his wife, which he does, and she dies in a great special effects scene. However, his teenage daughter also eats the pie. Grief-stricken, Billy fixes himself a plate of the cursed confection and is happily surprised to see the cheating doctor drop by for a visit. Presumably, Billy feeds him the pie and they all die. I mean, like the whole town, they're going to be traumatized from this when they find like the doctor, him, and the wife and that gruesome death at their home. And then whatever friend that daughter is playing with, like she's just going to turn into bloody mush as they play soccer. I mean, it's, it's, wow. 
She's gonna tur- she's gonna turn into that pie filling. Yeah, really, that's what it looks like. It does. It turns you to the pie filling. But we'll get into should, that. I, before yeah. we before we start, should we address the fact that people now consider the word gypsy to be a racial slur? Yes, let's do that because we are going to say that word a lot here because it's not. But it, and I, I've never thought of it as one. I mean, is there a preferred term? I I don't understand where that comes from. Uh, the preferred term is Romani. Because they are the Romani people, that, apparently. That, that makes sense. Uh, although although I, I'd argue that most of the gypsies we have in America are just Americans who live in trailers. Right. I mean, yeah. That, well, I mean, they, they do that, and they have accepted a lifestyle that is closer to the Romani. But I've never had a problem with the gypsy. Look, like, gypsy curses, that's right in the Buffy verse for me. So I'm down. You know, I'm like, yeah, sure. I, I can totally buy this, you know. Gypsy curse sets your plot in motion. But, I mean, all of that sounds fun to me. The, the biggest problem I have with this film is, is, like I mentioned before, of all of these characters, I don't know who I'm supposed to root for except for the mob thug, which I do want to talk about in a minute. But let's get let's do our, our run through the cast here real quick see, because this movie's see, pretty straightforward. I, yeah, I see. I thought your your pro, your big problem was going to be with our main character's ridiculous fat suit. Well, the effects in this movie are horrible, except for that last one with the wife. You're right, and, and I will pick on that. But I I you know I always say this about Stephen King movies, good or bad. There's always something about the characters to talk about that, you know, you want to notice and do things with. I mean, that's the crux of his stories. And the problem with this one, and I don't know how it is in the book, you can tell me, is I don't know who to root for. Does it come off that way in the book? How different is the book versus this? It's been a long time since I've read the book. But what I basically remember is it's about the same. There's nobody to root for except for possibly the mobster. And see, that's that may be the problem with this whole deal as we've written ourselves in a hole as we go. But let's talk about our main character, Billy Halleck. This, so calling this guy fat is like insulting fat guys. So, you know, I mean, this this dude is morbidly overweight, right? Like, and it is the worst looking fat suit since maybe Big Mama's or before maybe Big Mama's house, right? Like, it's it's bad, and the seams are so easy to see billy halleck is of course played by robert john burke who everyone remembers from robocop 3 and you and i were talking off air about how sad it is that it seems like this guy's always stuffed inside some ridiculous suit uh to do his acting some ridiculous piece of badly put together plastic so (laughs) yeah it's either it's either foam rubber or, or it's that hard like modeling foam he's also tasked with doing voices that he can't do like he he sounds the same. I mean, we didn't sound like he's from Maine at all, which I'm sort of glad he's not trying to affect some weird accent. But he, I don't know. It just he has this weird kind of I don't know. Like he's on a third rate game show host delivery with every line. It's so I don't know how to describe it other than that. It's very weird. Yeah, I think it's I don't know. I think it's because he's was born in in like Queens. So he probably had to work to get rid of the Queen's act, and that's just what he came up with. Uh, yeah, it would have been better had he sounded like Joe Montana, you know, So, because who just does what he is. I mean, he's from Chicago, but he can sound like he's from New York. He sounds like a, 
I mean, I think the man's made a living off of playing gangsters for the most part. He's he's played good guys. He's been on Criminal Minds for years, so I guess he's been a good cop now for a long time. But, you know, I, I know him from that. But I, I don't know. It, poor Robert John Burke. He's not served well by the script here. And he's also not served with the fact that he can turn his head about like Michael Keaton in those Batman movies, it looks like. The way that they've got that thing sculpted around his face. I mean, it's it's bad. Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that he wasn't moving his head, but when he had to turn to look at somebody, he moved his whole body. Right. He's, he looked like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man at one point. Like it was a flesh colored one. Like it was really, really odd. Yeah. Um, and that's even before we get to the terrible shower scene. Oh, God. The worst shower scene ever. Like they, that's another reason we know this movie fails. They put the wrong person in the shower scene. You got Kari Wurr in this movie and you don't put her in that. <laughs> so, yeah. And you, and you know she'd have done it for an extra like $5,000. Yeah. So, I mean, come on. I, now I love Kari. She's a, a bad actress and gives a terrible performance every time she's asked to in, in films, but she's gorgeous and fun to look at and generally will play with it and, and go with that. I mean, I consider her a, a genre actress all the way and her accent here is is also terrible. Uh, but we got to meet the rest of Billy's family here because you've got this shrew of a wife, Heidi Halleck, played by Lucinda Jenny, who I I don't know from anything else. Have you ever heard of her? No. Uh, I actually know the daughter more than... Yeah, One Tree Hill, right? I mean, that's her. Right. Uh, but this mom, uh, this Lucinda Jenny, I, I have no idea what she's been in. Um, yeah, when I saw the credit come up, I I had a moment. I'm like, is that Alice and Jenny? Are they related? Apparently not. You know, it's not that. But uh, I would have almost rather it had been her uh, because this this is a, this is a horrible, hard to get behind person. Like at no time is she remotely sympathetic to her very successful rich husband. At, at no time does she come across like a human being. No, she's an alien. Yeah, it's like a um, the Richard Ayoade character from uh, The Watch, that neighborhood watch movie where he's an alien trying to act human. Yeah, yeah. It's all a little wrong. Yeah, that's kind of like that. I, she's I, almost like Jane Curtin without the cone head. That, that's how she feels, you know. That's a that's a good one. Uh, and I and I would I would have rather had Dan Aykroyd and Jake Curtin. I bet they would have done this for five thousand dollars at the time. And, so and you would have had to put Aykroyd in a fat suit. He could have just he could have just himself. been himself. I, that's the thing about this. And I had misremembered because again I'd only seen this once before. But I thought at some point we actually got to see the real Robert John Burke. I don't know that there's any time he's not wearing some piece of latex in this movie in in one way or another to shade him up or down. Like it's yeah. it's disturbing. I. I can only think of one part, like one scene where he looks about normal. Um, and that's when, and, but even when he's like, even when I don't believe he's wearing any like applications, like any latex stuff, it, it still looks like they're dressing him to make him look fat. It's, it's when he's supposedly like in the 200 pound range. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he still looks like, all right, let's hide him in a bulky sweater uh, kind of thing. Yeah, he's he's always wearing clothes that are too big, and I I think they're trying to play it for it. You know, he's losing weight so fast he can't keep up with how he looks. And then when he goes on the lamb, I guess they don't they don't even try to, you know, maintain what he's you know, looking like or whatever. But then he does that whole shirt reveal where he's uber thin, and that's clearly 
you know, let's put your head on one of those little mannequin things. It was, it was bad, bad look uh, all the way uh, around. But I guess we get to what is my favorite character, and I kind of think it may be yours too. Richie the Hammer, Janelli, uh, Jill Montaigne. What can you say? I mean, again, one of my favorite, quote, gangster actors of all time. But I just like Joe Montaigne's presence. He always is such a... Uh, one to play as a ham and just kind of goes with whatever's in front of him like he doesn't care and I, I appreciate actors that are aware enough to just go eh whatever and they just play with what they're supposed to like he's he's fun to me like I, I don't know what I guess he committed some kind of hit or crime or whatever and they ended up uh, was, getting uh, off yeah it was a uh, contract he had a contract out on that guy that he was right. uh, in the scene in the courtroom scene yeah, have you ever yeah. seen you ever seen the juror uh, with Alec Baldwin and Demi Moore? Yes, it's like he's the cousin of the teacher, except he's a lot smarter and doesn't get overly involved with the, the people that he that he turns or something. It's I mean he comes off that way, but more comedic. That's the thing. This film is is not supposed to be, and it doesn't play itself as such. But I did find it you know funny because it's so over the top. Well, between um, Joe Mantegna basically talking in his fat Tony voice and Robert John Burke making bug eyes at everything. It's hard not to laugh, especially when he supposedly after he gets the cursed pie, which we'll get to eventually. And he started to put his malicious plot into, into place. He looks like a high school student trying to be in like the play, the McMurphy part in one floor of the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I think the only other person here that seems to be having any fun with their role is probably Michael Constantine. To me, the dad from My Big Fat Greek Wedding, but another character actor, well-known, Ted Zulimke. And I think you did a better version of the accent and the name there of the, the Romanian gypsy. But he, what a horrible fright wig they put this poor man in. And and he, he's got this horrible thing on his nose. And he's supposed to be 140 or whatever. And 106 I, years old. Yes. Yeah, something like that. And, I mean, he's just creeping around, and he's the one that puts the curses on everyone. But I thought, boy, this guy... Like, clearly, it's like, you want me to play this awful piece of garbage? Okay. And so he just goes with it. Like, it's almost like they feed him a line before they turn the camera on and you just get what take you get out of him. I, I don't think he was bad, though. I think he was, like, ridiculous. Uh, I think that was more the spirit that this movie needed, like, between him and Joe Mantegna and some of what Robert John Burke is doing. They they seem to get that this is a, a goofy piece of junk. Yeah. But, uh Robert uh, uh, Robocop doesn't do it consistently. It's like he tries to be serious in the scenes with the terrible wife and, and the daughter. Uh, but then when Joe Mantegna shows up, he's like, all right, I got to start chewing some scenery or this guy's just going to leave me behind. And he does every time he fails at it, by the way. That's because I don't think anybody else in this film can act besides Joe Montaigne. Um, I think he's by far the best performer of all of them and isn't in it enough. That's the problem is neither Limke or Janelli are in this enough for me to really you know, hold on to them because we spend so much time with Billy. And, and we're so distracted by Billy's um, family drama that and his weight loss and all that stuff like it all of these things are happening and i just can't it's like i can't get into the rest of the film because the central piece of it is bloody awful i mean it really is and i, I don't know I, I had a real hard time with it and 
I, we have to talk about the our, our remaining characters here. I mean, I don't have much to say about the judge and the the chief. They're they're both guys that you see in a lot of other things too. They're they're well, just kind of flubs. About, we can talk about how the chief, uh, Mister Daniel von Bargen, the late Daniel von Bargen, excuse me, <laughs> um, is like the homeless man's version of Michael Ironside. Yeah, he does kind of look that way. You're right. I think he's been in other Stephen King stuff too, if memory serves. Like I, I don't think this was his first round in King Land. I can't remember what else he would have been in, but he just looks like one of these character actors that you know you see in stuff like this all the time. Uh, uh, he was in Super Troopers. You know, I've never seen that, so that's new to me. But I'll, t- I'll take your word for it on that one. So, not a Fairly Brothers guy, not not my kind of uh, comedy. So, they're not. The, um, it's not the Fairly Brothers. But I I thought that was. See, that tells you what I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, so. he he's been a <clears throat> he plays the heavy when you can't get uh, Michael Ironside because he he's shooting <laughs> something else in Canada. In other words, he, he plays the heavy when you can't get get a real heavy. <laughs> Because he's not the remotely heavy in this film uh, at all. So I'll tell you who also is not remotely heavy is the uh, the gorgeous and uh, always um, uh, terribly uh, acting um, uh, Kari Wurr here. Uh, last scene on film strip in Hellraiser Debtor, which I think is the seventh or eighth one in that that uh, series. I can't remember exactly. Maybe the sixth one. I, I don't know. It's been a while since Nick and I did that series, but yeah. Uh, you know, her best work probably was on remote control, and it's just been all down here all since. But I can say I always like seeing her because what she is very pretty, and she's a, you know, she's a genre actress who plays it up. I mean, it's a terrible accent, it's a, a terrible part, and I don't know the, the part. My favorite part maybe where she's running through the county fair with a slingshot after the ever shrinking Billy. You know, and and threaten, and then like she eventually gets him with one of those things and puts it through his hand. I'm like, man, that's a that's a heck of a rubber band she's got on that thing. Yeah, anytime, uh, anytime you see her with the uh, slingshot or like ululating, it's usually gonna be a good time. Uh, yeah. But she was in a great, uh, terrible science fiction movie um, shot in beautiful South Africa called Fatal Conflict. Haven't seen that one. A Hot piece of garbage. Uh, she's a space pilot of some sort, and apparently space pilots don't wear bras. Uh, so you know that's good to know. Um, I, I think that's a, a requirement. But the whole setup of that movie, which is more interesting than thinner, is a is a meteorite made of gold crashes into Antarctica and destroys the global economy. How the heck was that not a Leprechaun sequel? I mean, that sounds like one even, so I don't, how did they miss that? Maybe it was, and they couldn't get Warwick Davis that time around or something. Yeah, they replaced so. Warwick Davis with uh, Miles O'Keefe, Ator the Flying Eagle himself. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds way more interesting than this, because all Kari Warr gets to do in this one is be sexually objectified and act like she can hear it from you know a window and a mile away. Do the weird skirt dance, call a guy a pig, and spit and do a bad accent, and then shoot that slingshot a lot, right? Like that's sort of her thing. Well, she didn't call him a pig; she called him a pig. It's a cast of oddball character actors in a very 
hard to root for anybody kind of movie. I, and now you've read the books. So I want to ask you a, a book question here or whatever. Is is the entire cast as unlikable on the page as they are on the screen, or is that strictly a function of the the very bad choices being put on film here? Um, it's a great question. Um, I think they were all kind of unlikable. I mean, in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the book, it's more clear that they, they make it pretty clear that he basically just runs over this gypsy because he's not paying attention, um, which they also do in the 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 movie. So fundamentally your main character is super unlikable. The wife is one of the great poorly written Stephen King characters of all time. Um, Cause she's just as bad. Um, I don't remember there being the uh, affair subplot, but it was probably there. He's got a thing for cuckoldry. And um, yeah, the only character who's remotely interesting is uh, Richie the hammer. Um, wow. Just like on screen. And he also, he also does repugnant things. Uh, so he's not as likable on the page. He's a lot more likable in Joe Mantegna's hands. Oh yeah. I think, I think he can transform a character like that completely. Does, does the accident happen the same way though? I mean, he's basically he gets Richie the hammer off. They have a big, you know, celebratory lunch out on his yacht, and he's like, "I'll always owe you one." And so you realize that's you know that's Chekhov's uh, thug, uh, to, you know, that can get called in back into the third act to uh, to provide help. And then they go out for a big celebratory dinner with the partners in the firm or whatever, and he eats his you know a ton of stuff. And his wife basically gives him a combination hand job BJ on the way home, and that's how he hits the gypsy lady who I had always thought was the old man's wife. No, it's his daughter. Um, so th- you know, that sets up how old he is. I guess that's what that needed to be. Yeah. The whole, the whole point of that is that he's a million years old. Right. That's, that's that, the only purpose that character served. Right. But that's why he hits her is because he's, you know, naturally distracted by those activities. Is that pretty much it too in the book or did he just not pay attention to what he's doing? Uh, he's also, uh, they're more clear that he's pretty drunk in the book. Ah, uh, um, they kind of skirt over it here, but I mean, he's he's definitely had too much to drink. In either case, I think. Yeah, they do talk about the fact that he's supposed to have taken a breathalyzer, and the chief lies about it on the stand, and all of that stuff. But um, it's not. It wasn't clear to me that he was hammered. It was just that he was really full, and his wife was pleasuring him beneath the Lincoln steering wheel. Yeah, let's not think about that anymore. It was really, it was really weird. Um, so, but anyway, um, you know, well, t- teach I'm, their own. Oh, I mean, one good thing is that 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 actress was in no danger of being anywhere near real genitals. <laughs> yeah, that suit <laughs> of the ridiculous. That that's definitely like, <clears throat> like a full body fat suit from like thighs to, from like knees to shoulders basically oh yeah and then he's got the face you know on too which you know high definition transfer does not help this at all like it it makes it look even worse and more i you can just see the seams so bad on it that uh i i don't know it 
It looks terrible. But he hits the woman, and I, you know you do get one of the gross effect shots. I think Tom Holland is always good for these when you when you need one. Is he's basically running the windshield wipers and washing her blood and guts off of the windshield. And I thought, man, that reminded me of like Driver's Ed. All of a sudden, those awful films they showed us in Driver's Ed. You know, it it looked yeah. like that, like blood flows red on the highway. Yeah, blood on the asphalt, whatever. Uh, yeah, that was that was one of my favorite shots, and that one of the most Tom Hollandy feeling moments yeah i agree with that yeah that extra little splatter of blood that's unnecessary but fun uh well although it was probably necessary to give this movie an r rating i mean you probably could i don't know about that i mean the subject matter alone is very r i mean you've got sexually explicit content you've got a, a good bit of language a lot of macabre murder. I mean, I think, especially in the mid-90s, the MPAA, I think this would have been an R. Plus, the words Stephen King's on anything is almost always an R. I mean, I don't know that he's ever had a PG-13 film adaptation. Maybe so, but I certainly don't remember it. So, uh, I think I think this was destined to be an R the whole way. Uh, that's fair. And, I, I mean, I couldn't see that. This wouldn't appeal to a lot. I can't even see this appealing to your usual slasher crowd, which is probably why this movie failed, you know, greatly. Because if you watch the trailers for it, that's sort of how it's marketed is, is, you know, this slasher, you know, from the great horror writer and then this, you know, slasher veteran director. You get this awful, ugly tale about not taking responsibility as an adult. I mean, that's what the whole theme of this is, right, is these adults that, refuse to take responsibility for their actions and these people from the quote old world who do things the old way and have honor and dignity even though they're awful and repugnant right yeah and but let's not forget they're not doing these to people they're doing this to gypsies right you know, they're and, subhuman they're like you know yeah can we talk about the town's like completely awful reaction like these people set up in the town square they're playing with the kids they're doing their carnival thing and it i mean it is as if you've dropped the like the pariah of society on top of this poor little town like these they are people walking by just in disgust constantly and i think that's supposed to set us up to like the gypsy here's here's my question though uh, we're both in the the we're both in the south. Have you ever seen like real live gypsies? No. Like if gypsies have never rolled through anywhere I've lived. I've seen Amish people. I've seen Mennonites. I know the difference between the two. I've never like seen a, a Romani gypsy, whatever PC term you want to use for them, caravan. Uh, that's I've never known anybody who was like, oh, I'm prejudiced against gypsies. You no, know, me either. That yeah, it seems like such a European conceit. Yeah, and I don't know how that plays in New England. Like, maybe that's that is more that way. Like the way we would look at other groups here in the South or something like that. I, I don't know, Ron, because I was thinking the same thing. I was like, why are these? But with the the European influence of New England and and also just the the more progressive bend of the people up there and and things you think they wouldn't care you know like most people just leave you alone kind of thing I, I, and it would be different if they had set up something that 
this clan of people was doing something like really bad in town. Like all they were doing was just being different and they just shunned them for that. But the problem is that, and here's the, the funny thing about it is that these people are all the same color It's I mean, it's white people hating on other white people that just speak with bad accents. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, it's not, there's no racial tension. If I'm supposed to get that out of this, well, I really don't. Yeah. They looked, they make a big deal about the white man from town, but they just look like, White men. <laughs> the, the white man from town. <laughs> so, I mean, that was a bad WCW promo waiting to be cut. That's all that was. <laughs> yeah, they just hired uh, Vito the Skull Grosso or something. <laughs> <laughs> Rebranded him as the white man from town. That that does sound like something that would have been done in the bad WCW days. But well, I think they did that with Kurt Hennig when they made him a redneck. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. That that would have been it. So um uh anyway, I, yeah, I could talk about bad wrestling all day cuz it's way more interesting than this movie. <laughs> that's the problem. So I don't I don't uh, get it either, but they're awful to these the the gypsies or whatever. They they have the fun of the way home. He gets out of it in the it's not even a case. It's like an arbitration in a small room, you know, like he totally uses the system and I'm going, "Well, that's what you would expect." Right, and he gets off with it, but then the old man does the touch thing and thinner. But it doesn't even feel like he's really getting away with that much because it's not a trial. It's just a. It's not a trial, honey. It's a coroner's inquest. I'm Robert John Burke. I was in RoboCop. <laughs> I'm very stiff for two reasons. <laughs> so I'm stiff in this suit, and my acting is stiff. So yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. I mean, it's it's a weird portrayal, and it's a weird scene. But I get it too, in the in the sense that it's him. We're supposed to believe that this is his way of manipulating the system because he can finagle it so that he doesn't even i mean they say later he doesn't even get points on his license for this you know so but none of that really is explained i just have to assume it you know and i'm supposed to assume this guy's a you know a bit of a, an under the table lawyer anyway because he got a mob guy off and and all of that and he's just sort of like oh i'm just doing what i'm supposed to do entitled to a good defense you know and so he he gets out of it whatever and then we get the curse with the word right and that sets into the the string of events, the the awful shower scene after the racquetball club, which I'm like, why wow, this guy would have dropped dead from that kind of activity, nonetheless. Anyway, and I'm sorry, I mean that would have been very bad for him. And poor Robert John Burke probably was miserable trying to do this. And let's talk about the awkward shower scene because I think you said it best when we were talking offline about it. It's so funny to watch this poor actor try to avoid the water seeping into the seams of that suit, right? Oh, yeah, because he's clearly not standing in any way a normal person has ever showered. Uh, he's definitely not standing in the, the shower the way a fat person stands in a shower, because I know that one. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's close to the water, but he's as far away from the water as he possibly can. And yeah. he's making sure it's only hitting like the back of the 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 back fat plate of his suit. I remember one of the dorms I lived in when I was in college, the shower nozzle hit me dead center, like right below my sternum, 
You know, because I'm I'm about six two, and the floor I lived on used to be a women's dormitory when it was built, so it was not built for people that are six two, and so I it for years like I had this one spot on me that I felt like you know no hair was ever going to grow back, and when I got you know moved out after I graduated and stuff, the shower uh, head was above me, and I was like oh for the first time ever, you know, so I mean I, I understood that. that's what it reminded me of too, but he's so trying to stay away from it, and you see this little weird patch on the. Uh, the judge's uh, skin about in the same spot I'm talking about. That's supposed to be like psoriasis or something like that. And what we find out later is he gets, he's getting turned into a lizard. And I do want to talk about that scene with his wife. Cause wow. Um, <laughs> but those I, are, I would, I would yeah. also like to talk about that um, makeup job on him later. Yeah. Yeah. We will, we will talk about the shifting makeup, uh, which I feel like is several scenes cut together by somebody in the MPAA uh, <laughs> making something work there. But we'll, we'll get into that in a, in a minute, but no, I mean, it, Billy starts to change drastically. Like he loses 14 pounds in a week. And all we ever see this dude do is like stuff his face with the product placement of all time, Pepsi, diet, Pepsi, ruffles, potato chips, you know, he's eating Doritos. the names. Yeah. Doritos, like the nun, and not only Doritos, Cool Ranch, uh, Doritos. So I mean, he's well, they they are the they are the Dorito choice of fat people everywhere. The, yeah, he's eating all of this bad stuff, and but he keeps dropping weight by the ton, and it's uh, you know, there his wife is like tracking it on this archaic computer program. I don't know what that was. That early Excel, that's kind of it's what it looked a, like. Uh, it looks like a uh, Microsoft um, or. A, like a Windows 3.1 kind of system. Yeah, that that would make sense because that was my freshman year of college. That's why it looked so familiar to me. So I had seen that somewhere. Or like a, uh, the OS 8, the Apple <laughs> OS 8. Very true. So, uh, yeah, it, it was awful. and But you know, she's, like, worried about him. Like, you need to go see the doctor. And so we meet the doctor, right, who he refers to constantly as Dr. Mikey. And this guy is such a like such a sleaze. I'm like he should have been one of Richie the Hammer's like goons or something. He doesn't come off like a doctor, except maybe in a Head and Shoulders commercial kind of way. He he looks like he should have been on L.A. Law. Yeah, as one of the people that they defeat, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, or one of the guest stars that uh, you know McCoy and and Jill, what's her name, run over on Law and Order. <laughs> You know, and back in the the original Law and Order days, like he looks like one of those kind, not not your you know family physician in in the small town, Doc Hollywood style. Here's here's a great question. We talked about the Doritos product placement, and, and how do you think Doritos feels about being associated with morbid obesity? And more importantly, how do you think Doritos enjoy being associated with a movie where a man eats in the most disgusting way I've ever seen anyone eat? I don't know how they got the clearance for that or if there was indeed like product placement. I couldn't find anything about it on the net. I can't imagine any company, particularly in, in the mid-90s to the late 90s when they were would have been you know more hip to what was going on out there, signing up to be a part of this piece of crap. Like, there's no way. Like, you, you know, in the 80s, the early 80s when SeaWorld signed up to be part of Jaws 3, I mean, they thought that was going to be a great idea to show 
murder inside of their water park. They, they didn't realize, you know, what they were getting into. But in the like, there's no excuse. So part of me thinks that this is just they got clearance for all this stuff somehow, offering something on the back end. I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe that. I mean, Pepsi's been known to be a part of a you know a lot of films. Nick and I talked about this on the Twister retro you know series that they were just a part of all kinds of badly made movies. So maybe this was you know part of their move. But why Doritos and Ruffles got involved, I don't know. Uh, but I mean, we have everything in there. Like it's it's just a junk food palooza. And it's not just the things he's eating; it's the way he's eating them. He tears into every meal like it is going to be his last meal. Right. It's like he has been starving for days and he can't eat enough. And I almost feel like if that had been part of the curse and they had explained that, that would have been good to know that not only do you lose weight at a rapid, you know, uh, click, but it also makes your appetite voracious. Like you cannot get enough to eat. And that's what drives you, you know, so it ultimately you lose all this weight and you go away or you just rot yourself to pieces because of the way you have know, the bad choices you make in eating or whatever. I don't know. It felt, I don't know. There needed to be more to explain there. Goodness knows they don't explain anything in this movie. Like I have to do so much work for this movie. It drives me crazy. I, you know, I, I need something to key off of here. Well, they, they did mention at some point that he, he says it's a race and I'm losing as he's shoveling chicken bones or something into his mouth. But even before he gets his thinner curse, he's just like throwing down like a, like in a ridiculous manner at every meal. I don't know if that's a choice uh, or if it's like, I don't know. I, I, it almost feels like Tom Holland is like, yeah, he's a fat pig. Eat, eat faster, eat more, just slop it around there. Because he's leaving big messes everywhere he goes, too. Yeah, I would hate to have to clean up after the dude, you know, in public or private. Like, it's bad the way that he just mauls the food that's around him at all times. And it's very it's very off-putting as well. Like, it's, I don't know. I, I realize that's what we're supposed to get from the guy. This is who he is, and this is why he's so disgusting or whatever. But it it it, it makes it hard to root for the character when you make him so repugnant. Right, and it also, once again, I feel bad for Robert John Burke because who knows how many takes he has to, to shoot, like shoveling corn cobs into his mouth or whatever he's doing. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the chicken scenes, like you mentioned earlier, those are awful, and any dinner scene when he's when he's running around with his uh, wife and daughter at the uh, house or whatever, yeah, there's always some just bloody, terrible thing that he's and, and it involved all- in. And the worst part is it all looks cold. Like it all looks oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that may be the worst is that it's so, uh, yeah, it's, it's just like right out of the fridge. Like, you know, look, who hasn't gone and done the cold pizza, you know, cold pizza fried chicken every now and then? Sure. But like not for the whole meal. Like that's just, ugh, it's just really off putting again. Yeah. You're not eating cold. Nobody eats cold corn on the cob. Yeah. Except the parents in, uh, war games uh you know because that's how you get all the great nutrients so apparently from that mom and i'm topping my random references from 80s films tonight by the way but um yeah the, i mean that's the only person that would do something like that like yeah i don't, I don't get it it's uh 
it's very odd. But again, it's just putting us off of this. But we meet the doctor. We don't like him. They start setting up the stuff with the, the wife and him nagging. And then, you know, he goes over to the judge's house to visit the judge because he's trying to figure out, you know, do you believe in a gypsy curse? Is there a gypsy curse? He's asked people about gypsy curses. They all think he's crazy. And the scene he has with this wife is... You talk about playing it way out of the park. This actress is nuts this whole time about what's going I mean, she plays it like she's half drunk, which I think she's supposed to be as a character anyway, but I think she may have been on the set. And it is out of this world how frantic she gets. Yeah, she definitely goes from right to 100 and stays there the whole time. And to it's... It, like everyone else in this movie, she doesn't know like what she's doing or what the whole purpose is. It just feels like they told Tom Holland, just pull her aside and said, all right, you're just completely insane. She'll just start jabbering. I mean, yeah, she just, she runs all this exposition dialogue about it's not, it's not a skin condition. He's not at the Mayo Clinic for skin cancer. I know it's something worse. He's just, he's a scale. He's got a forked tongue and he's got yellow eyes and clawed hands. And I mean, like I expected if we saw this guy again to see the lizard from Spider-Man, right? Like that's, that's (laughs) exactly what I was expecting to come rolling out in that uh, uh, car later on, but. That's uh, he looks more like the Crypt Keeper's friend in those Tales from the Crypt movies we reviewed a few years ago. Ah, that's right. He looks like um the like the cartoon drawing of like psoriasis on those like super like extra intensive care lotion commercials. How it's all gray. Yeah. It's got the, the bright red cracking in it. That's what he looks like. Yeah, he's just falling apart, you know, literally just a piece by piece. It's very, I mean, it's supposed to be, again, grotesque body horror. I think that's what they're trying to get Tom Holland to do. But it fluctuates so rapidly. I mean, let's jump ahead to his last scene. It's when he shows up to pick. It's either a dream or it actually happens and we just don't realize what's going on. But, like, it fluctuates from just being, like, gray mummy cake to, like you're describing, this alligator skin peeling off stuff with red dye underneath it it depends on if it's the uh, stunt man or the actor yeah yeah i think you're right i think that's exactly what the the difference is there so it's very i don't know again very weird and and odd but before we see him though we get to go visit the old chief of police who it said in the plot summary we wrote down you know he's suffering from leprosy either that or a hella bad bee sting on the right side of his face right like that's that's what it looks like is wrong with him. Another another actor cursed to wear ridiculous latex. I think and they all are in this movie. I think that's <laughs> that's how they, like that had to be part of the contract. You wear you will wear ridiculous latex. I mean, even Michael Constantine has that weird boil on his nose. Yeah, I mean that that's like part of the MacGuffin of the whole movie too. Is that he was in the. Uh, with the Stephen King cameo there in his Stan Lee moments um, where, you know, he must appear in a film now and he plays the pharmacist to get this thing from my nose. And it's, you know, it goes from a boil to just a, a, a pimple or something. It looks like that you'd watch on some grotesque YouTube video. Yeah, it's definitely Dr. Pimple Popper. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but no, the, 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 the police chief is like trying to hand him a gun and like, you go get him and you kill him for us. Cause you know, this is what we lied and this is what we got. And, and we hear a shot in the distance and assume that, you know, the chief has killed himself here. Right. And that's what the, uh, but, but here's my question. Did he do it left-handed? Yeah, that's what I wanted to know. Yeah, his right hand was his fingers were too fat to pull the trigger. Had to have had to have done it. I guess being a police officer, he's trained to, in ambidextrous weaponry uh, or something. So I, mean, I don't know. So uh, maybe he lifted a toe up. I don't, maybe he's into yoga. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, we don't know. It's not like they ever. I mean, they they give us a shot later at the uh, house where the cops are you know doing the the work of the uh, the autopsy crew or whatever, but. Yeah, we never know. Yeah, they, don't, so. they don't tell us the things we want to know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just all the, the useless information you don't care about, you know. So, and if so, you want to find out if Italians believe in gypsies? Well, <laughs> yeah, this, this is how you. This is yeah. This is how you will find out. So he goes. Billy goes on this this quest to find the old man now, and his wife is like trying to get him committed, right? Like he finds out from some friend that has seen the gypsies leave town that his wife is has put out. The wife and the doctor have put out some kind of a uh, uh, almost a wanted thing on him to have him involuntarily committed, and so he goes on the lam while all this is going down. He pays off the dude at the dock and he keeps hunting them until he finally comes upon their camp right and and he's at this point he's called richie the hammer to say i might need your help but not yet so we've we reduced that so because because we'd forgotten about him he's he's at a bar with a couple of women you know <laughs> which looks like she shot in a houseboat somewhere but uh and maybe that's what it's supposed to look like but he's, maybe it was the houseboat that he was having his italian dinner on that could have been it maybe it was yeah they did set up that boat thing that yacht that he's hanging out on so he's 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 on coughlin's yacht it from cocktail and it, they're doing that and he goes to the gypsies and he like be, you know at first he's like why don't you do this to me and they you know they tell him you kill my daughter you know blah 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 and and uh Curry words aiming the slingshot at him you know, about to kill him or hit him with it again. And, uh, you know, I, I should have known that like slingshots can be really deadly. Apparently she's got like heavy ball bearings in those things. Cause she hits him in the hand with one. And it's like, he gets his hand shot by a shotgun. I mean, it's really, that's probably the best effect in the movie is the hand shot. Like it goes straight through and everything. And and later when he's looking through the hole in his hand, Right, yeah, which, you know, we haven't seen that before. And now I know where Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino ripped that off from and from Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> of course, that's been done a million times before. That's not just them. They, you know, they, if you've ever seen the Sam Raimi Western, The Quick and the Dead, with uh, Sharon Stone and Russell Crowe, there's a good through the hand shot in that one, too. So, uh, and a lot of through the body, you know, bullet wound shots. So, uh, um, maybe someday. You're a fan of Westerns. We might have to do that just on principle for being both a terrible film and a, and a, and a Western at the same time. But anyway, he, he goes for, Billy goes from being like belligerent to like begging for mercy. And they're like, yeah, away with you, you know, in, in the great Count Chocolate voice there. And then he gets mad and he goes on that, that rant that we talked about, the white man from town rant. And I have to tell you, I was physically like bellowing in my chair at how ridiculous all this was even just thinking about it makes me start laughing it's great i, I love what it is yeah i uh, mean it, it is a bad promo of all time <laughs> it's, it's terrible yeah that's a that's a vince russo special right there 
exactly. It's right in his alley. And he does this, the white man town will bring the curse on you all. And what, you know, what I'm sitting there going, like, he's going to go call his thug friend. Like, that's what white men do, right? You call your friend in a low place when, when you've got trouble. So, and look, Garth was right. Sometimes you need a few of those. And uh, he's got one in places so low you couldn't even find, right? And so it, it, Richie, you know, is like, oh, you should have called me in a long time ago, Billy. And he's like packing in, you know, he brings in one of his local thugs and he, he's packing in all this, you know, heavy hardware. And that, I mean, I love the attack on the gypsy camp. Can I tell you? Like, I had a blast watching one man with a machine gun take down a whole you know, camp of people, but not kill any of them. It was like a, a very sanitized Rambo attack. It was a it was a RoboCop three scene. Yes, yeah. Everybody gets shot to pieces, like GI Joe, but only one person gets shot, and that's the gypsy granddaughter's husband, right? Like yeah, he's, and he that's gets not even uh, the hammer's fault. The gypsies shoot him. Yeah, exactly. Like he doesn't even get shot by the hammer. Like the hammer blows up vehicles. It doesn't hit a soul this whole time. Yeah, apparently you can uh, if you fire enough bullets into a propane tank, you get a really cool explosion. <laughs> I didn't. I think the MythBusters have disproven that at least four or five times. So is that you? You have to create such a spark off of it to make that work. But you know, he did have an. You have to shoot up like a fifty-eight Cadillac then. Yeah, exactly. Well, now that blowing up, I can totally buy because he did have an AK forty-seven. So you know, those those bullets known to tumble just a bit. So, uh, but yeah, uh, I I like the I like the Richie shootout, and and again, and all this goes down. And and what I love too is that he dresses up like an FBI agent or like his character from years later in Criminal Minds to to go and investigate and find out what's going on and what's the motivation still of. Uh, of all the the gypsies, because he's going to lure out the granddaughter, right? That's how they're going to finally get the old man to meet with Billy and agree to his terms. Right, and that actually was one of my favorite movie uh, favorite moments in the movie, if only because it shows that he's actually like the only clever person in the room. <laughs> oh yeah, he's just like, look, these people aren't smart. I'll wear a suit. I'll show them a, a a badge I got at the dollar store. She'll come with me. She don't know any better. And lo and behold, it happens. And then he throws the, what was it, soda pop and baking soda in her face. Right. And then puts the, quote, real acid on her forehead. Uh, did you notice when she knocked the real acid away, she knocked it towards her body? I just, my wife said the same thing. She's like, wouldn't you knock that behind your head? And I was like, yeah, that's what I was just thinking. And she threw it the wrong way. And all I could think was Kari Word did that one time or one time too many and was like, you're just going to go with it, Tom. I'm done. So I'm not, not going to keep doing this. So <laughs> they finally got it to sit on her forehead just right or something. I don't know. Like I was actually sitting there thinking, like, could I balance a cup like that on my forehead or is it too round? Uh, Peyton Manning could uh, with with his uh, five story forehead now, uh, but uh, you know, Kari were not known for uh, having a huge head, so I, I don't know. Well, I mean, she might. We don't know what she would look like after taking all that HGH. <laughs> this is true. But yeah, I, I that's the first time I've watched this movie several times for God knows what reason, and that's the first time I've ever yeah. noticed. That she knocked the acid in the wrong way. The acid that is clearly flat Pepsi. Yeah, very flat Pepsi, uh, which oddly enough acts like an acid if you let it go flat. Um, that's the uh, the irony of that drink. Um, 
because you leave it in a cup long enough and it'll cut through like alien blood. Um, <laughs> oddly enough. But yeah, I, I'd love that that's how they draw it out. And uh, this is also, we get Richie like actually involved because not only is he mad because of what they're doing to his, his friend William, who uh, he's the only one that calls him William. Everybody else calls him Billy in the movie. But his thug gets you know, cut up and, and sent back to him in a car with a message. And I'm like, when did the Romanian gypsies start sending off uh, like Sicilian messages, you know, with a, a fish and a, and a newspaper or whatever. Maybe that's why the, the mom knows uh, Richie, the hammers mom knows so much about gypsies. Maybe that could be it. Right. Yeah. She does have the one scene to say, yeah, that could totally work. Cause she's our, I guess she's the part of the cast that confirms for us that this is real. Yeah. She's our, um, She's our uh, grandmother slash expert in the supernatural because I think all movies uh, were required to have that at some point. It's either you have the magical black man or you have the magical grandmother. And I think she's the magical grandmother in this case, right? That's the character she's asked to play in that one scene. But the the hammer, you know, gets his way. Billy finally gets to meet with uh, the old man, but not before we, you know, we find out later what happens to poor Richie. And this is what I hate. We don't even get to see it on screen, what happens to him. He gets gets his hand cut off and put in a car, right? I, I guess, did, did uh, Kari work catch up with him? Like, how did that happen? I don't know, because I had forgotten that actually happened to Richie. Um, I guess because I want that character to be the only one to live. Uh, <laughs> the only one to like escape unscathed. Right, right. So I don't, I honestly, I think in the book he, he just gets like killed by the gypsies. Wow, so uh, they don't even, they don't even set it up beyond that. Uh, not that I remember. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, it obviously doesn't leave much of an impression. And I, that's another thing, too. You've got your most fun character, I'll say. Now, maybe not most likable, because it's hard to say anybody like that's likable. But the most fun character, we don't even get to see his death on screen. I'm like, this movie can't do anything right. Like, you, you have to show us him being, like, awfully tortured and, and her turning the screws on him. Like, that's the only fair way he could go down. And they don't even get that right. That's what I think that's what I'm complaining about. Yeah, this this movie, I don't know if it's because they didn't want to spend the money, which probably was a wise decision, or they couldn't. After they couldn't get the uh, the prosthetic effects to look right, they decided not to bother with any of the other special effects. But everything that you want to see ends up happening off screen. You're exactly right. Everything you want happens off screen, and that is they, frustrating. They don't, even, they don't even show like a kennel of of dead fake dogs. Uh, no, he goes in and poisons the dogs, the gypsy fighting dogs, apparently. Right, like we we don't get anything out of that. It's uh it's, it's just so badly done, but it leads us to this climax if you want to call it that, right? Of Billy and the the gypsy. How did you how did you like this? The way that the uh, the old man uh did the uh, the stabbing of the the fake hand to uh put the the blood curse into the strawberry pie. I didn't enjoy that because it was so unnecessary because he's got a, the bandages <laughs> aren't, aren't dry. The bandages are wet with fresh blood. You don't need to stab him. You just need to like squeeze his hand a little bit and he's going to, 
leak like a Japanese samurai. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're 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 right. I mean, he he's just oozing blood. I guess they needed to be fresh though, and not be any of the stuff that goes with the blood at the time. Maybe I don't know, but it it feels I that think way. You just wanted to stab him in the hand one last time. That's it. Clearly, seems to be that was the the whole purpose of the. Uh, the moment is we have to do that hand. Let's make you more uncomfortable one more time in this movie, right? And we yeah. got to like squirt corn syrup blood all over the, the top of that uh, latex pie. Yeah, you're right. And, and like, you, I mean, that pie, I think it was like its own bubble effect or something, right? Like it, that is so poorly executed um, as, as a piece. Like they didn't even have a, a, a pie. Like it looks like one of those like fake um, table serving pies, you know, that you see at like the department stores that have the tableware set out. It's one of those fake plastic uh, ones. Or the ones you see for decoration at like restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's definitely the fake pie in the front of the, you know, Korean barbecue place or whatever. It's not the real food that you, you would be ordering from such an establishment. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's awful. And, uh, they, they get this thing, and so he's he's got this whole plan though because he's like, I'm gonna go home and feed this to the, you know, I know exactly who I'm giving this curse to, and his whole plan is to feed this to his wife, right? And that's, I guess that's what we want him to do because she's so unlikable too that we we want him to murder his wife with this evil gypsy curse. But he's given a choice by the old man. It's like, look, your weight loss is going to stop temporarily. You're going to start gaining weight again unless you you know give this away to somebody. But if you don't, but if you want to do what's you know right, you'll eat it yourself and die with dignity because you'll die very fast once you eat this pie. I mean, he should have just said, "All right, I'll eat it if you eat it." Yeah, I mean, can can we say too though that the the progression of his curse is so very different than the progression of the other guy's curses. Like the judge turns into a lizard pretty fast and goes insane and drives into I guess he drives into a truck or he dreams that he drives into a truck. Billy does. Billy, and then... Billy dreams that he drives into a truck, but he actually does drive into a truck. Yeah, and I'm like, how did? I mean, is he having like? Cross probably, flashback, or I don't get that. Cursal vision, psychic. Guess. Yeah, it's like they're having carry psychic visions in the middle of, and then the police chief like becomes this hideous, you know, acne monster really quick too. Like all that happens so fast. But Billy's, he does have dramatic weight loss, but like he doesn't turn into nothing immediately. It takes a little time, and I'm like, his is so much more slower working than the other people's. And then for them to drop the bit and realize how quick this pie kills you seemed so different than the rest of the movie. Well, he did say the pie death was going to be uh, quick and painless. Right, right. Quick, it's and yeah or something. Clean. Yeah. Yeah, clean. clean yeah, let's talk about how clean the death is though cuz he wakes up next to the wife and she looks like the inside of the pie, right? Yeah, she is a real splatter slop monster. Uh, almost she, toxic avenger level i would say oh yeah yeah she, she definitely fell into a vat of toxic waste and yeah superhuman powers after that oh, yeah, too bad she didn't come back for that you know right because then that or or she was the bad you know wife at the end of pet cemetery who's all grossed out but that was an incredible makeup effect this this wants to be that gosh it, it can't even get close to that so denise when denise crosby's performance blows that away you've lost as a film 
So sorry, Star Trek fans, but that's just the case. So uh, yeah, he he gets his uh, wish right, but then the tragic irony of it is that the daughter who he sent away for the night so that he could perform this dastardly act. I wonder how he was ever going to explain this to her. Shows up and is like, "Oh, I really loved your pie, Daddy. Thanks. I'm going to go play soccer with my friends. We're all melting to goo in a few hours." And he did look on his face like, "What have I done? What have I done?" And I'm like, "You did what you." wanted to you a-hole <laughs> you killed your whole family <laughs> so he's going to do the right thing now he's going to eat the pie himself only to be coded by this doctor affair that we've shoved into this movie so we can make the wife more unlikable that oh yeah come on in and have some of my pie that doctor affair that may or may not be true Right. We we don't even know if that's... Yeah, you're right. That could just be more of his psychotic delusions. We don't even know if that's the case. Yeah, it... it, it but it's not done in such a way that we're either clear it's a, a delusion or we're clear that it's not. It's very... Uh, eh, I don't know. You decide. I mean, well, think about what this little town has gone through in like three weeks, okay? They've had... Two visitors from out of town killed in mysterious circumstances. The police chief committed suicide. The judge drove himself insane and drove his car into a, a truck or a wall. Um, his wife's off her rocker. The uh, town, you know, fat lawyer has presumably wasted away and his wife and daughter into some jelly. The local hitman is found dead along with one of his thugs and the local doctor is dead. Like this whole town is ready just to close doors and move away. Right. They're just going to become a ghost town. Nobody's left. They're clearly going to have to change the name of this place to Salem's lot or something. Like I, I kept waiting for them to, reveal that like pie juice got into the water system too, you know, and, and just, took out the whole town eventually. It felt like they were closing the door on everything. It might as well have. I don't know how many people are still alive in this town at this point. Not not many in that neighborhood. They all seem to live in the same place together. And it's, God, it's just rough. But it's a rough ending to this film because it's so abrupt. I mean, it's like we, we do one attack on the gypsies. They agree to your thing. And then your whole turnabout doesn't work. And so it leads me to ask... All of this could have been avoided if he had just, what, said, I, I was getting a handy from the wife while driving. The woman walked out in front of me. I didn't see her. And he paid a couple fines. I mean, I don't think he would have been found guilty of anything really severe. I mean, that was, he. yeah, he was distracted. She walked out into traffic. He wasn't speeding. <laughs> you know, I, I'm like, if you just owned up to it, bro, you'd still be fat and happy. And she's And she was dressed in dark clothes. Let's not. Yeah, right. So I that's what I'm saying. Like the 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 conceit of the film is that if you had just taken the mildest bit of responsibility for anything, fat lawyer, you would be okay, but I guess that was the point. <laughs> fat lawyer sounds like it's going to be a Jim Belushi show on CBS. <laughs> really? It could have been Jim Belushi for all I know, uh, you know, at this point. But yeah, it uh uh, slice it. That would have been in the '90s. Slice it in between like Friends and one of the bad medical shows or whatever they were trying to force out there, or Sunset Strip and and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think the, you could find a home for Fat Lawyer on Star Jim Belushi on CBS right now. Yeah, probably so. Probably so. So just put it on before a CSI or something, and and just roll it out there, and you know, set it in Chicago. 
Yeah, see what happens. Be done with it. Although, Joe Montana could be the could be the doctor of the fat lawyer. Yeah. Although it's going to be in Chicago, you're you're going to have to take it to NBC, and it can join in the rest of the Chicago verse. All the other I know. Sheesh. Yeah, the whole world is in Chicago except for SVU now, which is still in New York somehow. So, but they just had a crossover. So, all of all of these ideas, by the way, far superior to the film we just reviewed. So, I think I know your answer to this. But uh, what are your final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings on? thinner it's a bad movie it's dumb as a bag of hammers um it's it doesn't make sense it's not particularly stylish or entertaining but there are so many things that go wrong with it that are just really enjoyable to me i have to go medium popcorn i i have a weakness for garbage and this is definitely garbage do not watch it expecting a good movie. Uh, maybe just watch the parts where it's Michael Constantine and Joe Mantegna and Robert John Burke together. That would, if you cut that down, that's that's one really good episode of like uh, Tales from the Crypt or the some new Twilight Zone spinoff. A good part uh, of Creep Show Three, it could have been, you know. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can just leave the parts out where he's like talking to his friends and family and having a wife. I, you know, I think this movie is aptly named as thinner because I think the story is thin. I, I've never read the book again, but the book material seems like really thin. And I kind of get why Stephen King was like, yeah, we're putting that one on the pseudonym. So it's like the idea you can't get out of your head, but you have to finally write it down or else you won't leave it alone. And so he's like, I've got to pick the gypsy curse scab and just be done with it you know, today. And so he, he, banged this out and then somebody turned it into a movie this is a terribly executed bad movie i like garbage movies too but this one isn't even any fun i guess the problem is that the fun part of it is only in it for maybe 10 minutes that's joe montagna everything else is horrible and it's just a it's 90 minutes long and it feels like two and a half hours i mean it's like you're watching one of those bad TV Godfather knockoffs, you know, The Last Dawn or something like that. It just goes on forever, and I just want... I'm kind of glad it does deliver the one thing I want. I wanted everyone gone at the end of this movie. <laughs> Even the poor daughter, who I'm like, well, Bethany Joy Lentz and her braces, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker cuteness that she had going on there before becoming hot on One Tree Hill. Um, but, yeah, I, I just... This movie is abhorrent, and to me, it doesn't even do a good job of being a bad movie. It's just a bad movie, badly acted and badly directed, and it's horrible and should be avoided at all costs. So, small popcorn for me. Not the worst Stephen King adaptation. That's that's a good running list, but you can make a retrospective out of just the bad ones, I think. But uh, it's right up there with some of the worst ones. This is just bad. So, uh, can't give it any higher than a small popcorn uh, for me. Not Not this time around. Thanks for joining us on this latest edition of Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on the archive section of our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. And, of course, you can always follow Ron's writings over at Den of Geek. Yes, sir. That's me. Yeah, what do you got going on right now? Uh, well, as of the time we're recording, next week, Walking Dead will be back. Ah, yes, yes, The Walking Dead is back. And so you've also been covering Teen Wolf and several other MTV shows, right? Uh, just Teen Wolf this time. Um, just Teen Wolf. But yeah, uh, I've also got Game of Thrones coming in April and some other stuff to be determined. 
Very cool, very cool. So we'll catch up with that for sure, and we'll definitely have you back on as we can go ahead and we've been teasing it out now. You know, this fall is going to be the biggest. Uh, this fall is going to be the biggest Shocktober ever because we're doing two major horror franchises simultaneously leading up to a crossover at the end. Brian and I are reviewing all of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, but you and I are going to camp. We're doing all of the Friday the 13th films, and then all three of us will culminate in Freddy versus Jason. And I can't wait to get into that because... There, I just got a lot to say about Friday the 13th, and I I think you do too, so that should be a lot of fun. Yes, make sure you dust off the VCR for that one, because that's the only <laughs> way to watch Friday the 13th. It, if it's not grainy and where you can you know do random pauses and watch it jump around with the tracking, you're just not getting the full effect of what those, those list of those first four films we're trying to give you. So, but more on that later on. But that, yeah, we got a long time before that. This is spring. Who knows what else we'll be coming up with. There's several things coming out in theaters we may take a shot at here. There's there's always a, a I mean, look, I've got a, a personal dustbin pile of films I've bought for $3 at Walmart, So we, and I know you do too, so we, we can always come up with that. And hey, I hear they're finally making a, a movie about The Room uh, with James Franco and you know, a couple other, yeah, Dave Franco and, and some other interesting people. Uh, so that we may have to get back in and, and do that. Uh, Cause we, we actually have reviewed the room before. It'll be a very funny story. <laughs> Indeed. So, and we can even do, you want to do some bad movies, we can pick some James Franco ones. There's plenty of those uh, to go around. So <laughs> folks, thanks again for joining us until next time for Ron. I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.